0: Episode 9, The Perfect Steak. A great way to impress a dinner guest, or frankly, to treat the dad in your life for Father's Day, is with a perfectly cooked steak. But keep in mind that a high-quality steak can be expensive to purchase, so the last thing you want to do is mess it up by overcooking it.
1: Yeah, no one wants to chew on a leathery, dried-out piece of gray meat.
2: Ghost!
1: At the same time, you don't want to undercook it either. A steak that's charred on the outside and super bloody raw on the inside won't make anyone happy.
0: That's why I've done all the research into cooking the perfect steak. I've compiled a list of the best cuts to buy, as well as the foolproof methods you'll need to know to cook your beef the right way. Ready to tackle the perfect steak?
2: Welcome to our program. This is the Non Non Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a
3: real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and non-tastic.
0: We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook.
1: And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil O.
0: Hello.
2: Hi. Hi. Whatever.
0: And they're the reason we do what we do.
2: What we ate.
0: Mom, what did you eat this week? We just spent a week in Maui, and we had a lot of great stuff as usual. I say as usual because we try to make it to Maui once a year, because about 10 years ago, we got suckered into buying a timeshare in Kanapali on the west side of Maui.
1: Yeah, when you were pregnant, we got a voucher for a discounted hotel stay in Maui from a friend and decided to use it. Because we're cheap. Totally. It was a great deal, but the catch was that we had to sit through a timeshare presentation at an Oceanside resort.
0: Yeah, we went into the presentation with this rehearsed cover story about how we were having another kid, so our budget was tight and we couldn't afford a timeshare, (laughs) and we totally psyched ourselves up (laughs) to just say no and to resist.
1: But then we went on the tour of this resort property and you folded.
0: I did. Those timeshare people are really good. They're totally pros at this. When I pointed to my big bulging belly and told them I had another mouth to feed, they totally got to me with their pitch about how a timeshare in paradise would mean saving money on vacations, sharing experiences and memories with our kids, blah, blah, blah. And we bought it hook, line and sinker. I blame it on my pregnancy hormones.
1: But hey, it's also hard to resist the allure of Maui.
0: That's true. And even though I say we were suckered, we really weren't. We've loved going back every year. The kids love going to the beach and swimming at all the different pools, which are right on the property. And it's just a fantastic place to kick back and relax. I love sitting back and doing nothing. And the kids love starting each day with a few hours of splashing in the pool and playing in the sun.
1: Every time we arrive on Maui and get off the plane, I exhale deeply. It's like I push out all of the stress that I've been accumulating and leave it all behind.
0: Yeah, and you've got a lot of it. (laughs) And that includes any stress of being strict paleo. As we mentioned in episode 7 of our podcast, Traveling While Paleo, we don't stay 100% paleo when we're on vacation.
2: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: It's important to remember that making a mindful choice to eat without stressing out is all part of a healthy, happy lifestyle. Lolo and I just need to stay gluten-free, so that's the one thing I insist on when we eat out, no matter where we are.
1: So no malasadas or Hawaiian macaroni salad for you? Nope. Nope
0: but there are lots of other incredible eats to enjoy on Maui.
1: The one Nom Nom Paleo-related activity we did all week while on vacation was to post food photos on the Nom Nom Paleo Instagram feed. We've been coming to Maui for the past decade, but I'm still happily surprised by all the new and different restaurants that have sprung up over the years. Some of those quote-unquote new restaurants have now become old favorites of ours, like Hanu and Star Noodle.
0: Even though we ate at a bunch of great restaurants, my favorite bite of the week was on our final morning on Maui, when we cut up a fresh organic pineapple that I had plucked straight from the fields at Kumu Farms the day before.
1: You guys want to see if the chicken will come out? Mm-hmm.
0: On our last day on Maui, we took a trip to Maui Tropical Plantations, which is home to several organic farms, zip lining course, and a restaurant called The Mill House.
1: Maui Tropical Plantations is in central Maui.
3: Wow.
0: Wait, just no, to... no, we're gonna go look at the farm. But zip lines are part of the farm. That is true. See?
1: Now at first glance, you might write it off as a tourist trap because it has a tram tour, zip lines, coconut husking, a big gift shop.
0: But it's beautiful. And behind the sort of touristy facade are these amazing fields. The grounds of the plantation extend way beyond just the fountains and ponds and gorgeously tended central area. The plantation is home to working farms that are entirely organic and non-GMO.
3: So I'm actually married to Grant Shule from Kumu Farms. Mm. And And
1: um, we were fortunate to get an up-close and personal tour of Kumu Farms and try the new Millhouse restaurant on the plantation.
0: Yeah, this almost didn't happen. While we were in Maui, our pal chef Gregory Gorday was in Silicon Valley for Bite SV, which is this new food festival that's actually in our neck of the woods that combines the culinary and tech worlds.
1: You guys might remember Gregory or Gigi from episode three of our podcast when we interviewed him.
0: Yeah, episode three, all about Gigi. Anyway, since Gigi was in town, he agreed to house-sit for us while we were away. And so the night before we left, we are sitting around our kitchen and he said, Oh, I know a chef in Maui. He's opening a new restaurant on a farm, and I'll connect you two. And you can go check it out.
1: Gigi knows everybody.
0: Yeah, it's because he's so nice. And he totally hooked us up. I started texting with the chef, Jeff Shearer, and we arranged to meet at the plantation and have dinner at the Mill House, which is the new restaurant he's opening. It's in soft opening until July 3rd, when it's going to officially open with a bang. Maybe hey, that him right there. Hi! Hey, how are you? I'm a chef. How are you? I'm sorry, I'm a hugger. How are you? I'm a chef. Hey,
1: I'm Henry. Nice, Henry, nice
0: to Chef Jeff is super cool, soft-spoken, and totally committed to head-to-tail cooking and sourcing everything locally from the island. How's that, been? Awesome. But we're leaving tomorrow. Oh, leaving tomorrow. His cooking is amazing, too. It's no wonder that he was recently named Maui's Chef of the Year for 2015. If you go visit, he's not hard to spot. Jeff's a dead ringer for Bradley Cooper in an apron.
1: When we were on the tour, Michelle got a chance to catch up with Jeff and ask him about his background.
0: And his culinary philosophy.
1: But the conversation was so wide-ranging, covering everything from how Jeff made it to Maui to the opening of his new restaurant, that we'll probably post the interview in some form later on. Hi.
0: Michelle. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet
1: you. At the plantation, we were joined by chef Krista Garcia, who had just moved to Maui and joined Jeff to open the restaurant, and Maria Holmes of Kumu Farms.
3: Uh And we're the only um, non-GMO papaya producer in the state.
1: Maria took the four of us around the farm and showed us how they're growing leafy greens, tomatoes, papayas, avocados, herbs, just about anything and everything.
0: And that's when we picked their pineapple. I had never actually seen close up how pineapples were grown until we walked around Kumu farms and I saw the small plot of pineapple bushes with cute pineapples growing on top. I'm not sure what I was expecting, maybe something like a tall coconut tree, but I immediately blurted out, "Oh cool look pineapple. Whoa. yeah, they're everywhere. I just had no like so do they stay this small like the the plants themselves mm, stay this much. small?
3: You want to harvest one, guys? You want to pick
0: a pineapple? That would be awesome. Yeah? <laughs> wow, look at those pineapples. They're so cute.
1: <laughs> pineapples, the cutest fruit on the island.
0: They were. And luckily, Maria let us pick one to take home. And she's like, oh, just pick the yellowest one and just twist it off. And so I found the ripest and yellowest one in the field. <laughs> and I grabbed hold and I twisted it off.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. Wow. Wow! Look! Wow, you've harvested your first pineapple. Wow, it smells really
0: good. Smell it.
1: Yeah, the color of that pineapple was shockingly yellow. It was unlike anything I'd seen at a supermarket.
0: Because I think the pineapples at the supermarket aren't ripe because they have to travel for so long that they actually pick them not very ripe at all.
1: So they pick them when they're green and they're supposed to ripen either in transit or at the supermarket. But typically, it just turns brown.
0: Yeah, and they're never as sweet and they're more acidic. And so I was really excited to taste this pineapple once we got home. And it smelled so amazing.
1: If you want to see a picture of this super shockingly yellow pineapple, just check out Michelle's Instagram feed.
3: Well, maybe we should walk back down. You guys hungry?
1: The pineapple was amazing, but so was the dinner we had at the millhouse. We posted photos of some of the dishes on Instagram, but even pictures can't adequately describe what we ate.
2: All right. Wow! Got the for you. Oh.
1: My favorite dish was a dashi chipino with kawaii shrimp, mahi-mahi, and harissa. I know we talk about umami a lot, but this seafood stew was the epitome of umami.
0: Epitome of umami? <laughs> That's quite a mouthful.
1: So was the chipino. It was spicy and savory and rich. We had two bowls of it, and Owen and I ended up fighting to slurp up the broth. What was your favorite dish?
0: I had two. I'm going with dessert first. So my favorite sweet dish was a lilikoi posset, which is a cold dessert made with thickened cream, typically flavored with lemon. But in this case, instead of lemon, it was flavored with passion fruit. It came with candied celery and aerated haiku honey, which tasted like marshmallow fluff, but, you know, fancy aerated haiku honey fluff. Um, I love the balance of tangy and sweet because that is like my favorite contrast in flavors. Chef Krista, who came up with the dessert, used to work at the French Laundry making desserts. So believe me when I say this was superb. The other dish that I absolutely loved was the mahi-mahi with corn puree, blue oyster mushrooms, and piperod. The mild sweetness and creaminess of the corn puree paired perfectly with the grilled mahi-mahi.
1: You know someone's going to slag you about eating corn and how it's not paleo.
0: Yeah, I know. And I'll refer them to my earlier comment about how my vacation eats aren't strict paleo. Besides, I will always make an exception for organic, non-GMO corn grown just a few feet from the kitchen, especially when it's this delicious. That corn puree was incredible. It wasn't super duper sweet like supermarket corn that's been bred just to be sugary. Instead, it had this rich burst of corn flavor.
1: So you're saying it was super corny. You're super corny.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Dad, you're always corny.
0: Main course.
1: Okay, vegetarians, put your hands over your ears because we're going to talk about cooking meat today.
0: Or go back and listen to episode four, Viva Las Veggies, which is all about vegetables because today it's all about steak. A perfectly cooked steak is an indulgence both because of the expense and the sheer primal joy that we derive from enjoying a seared, juicy cut of properly aged meat. The animal sacrificed its life so we could thrive, and it's important that we take the care to cook it properly. Unlike other cheaper cuts of meat that are forgiving with low and slow cooking methods like brisket, short ribs, or oxtail, a premium steak really needs to be cooked properly to be
1: delicious. For me, a perfect steak is cooked medium rare, meaning pink from edge to edge and surrounded by a nice crusty sear on the outside.
0: Me too. And if I'm going to spend my hard-earned dollars on a pricey piece of meat, it better turn out the way I want.
1: So how do you make it the way you want it?
0: First, you gotta choose the perfect cut of steak. Ideally, you should get a steak from grass-fed and grass-finished cows. Happy cows that are raised the way cows are intended to live will produce the best-tasting and healthiest meat. You know how people say you are what you eat? If you're going to eat beef that's been raised on steroids and antibiotics and engineered grains and animal byproducts and raised in horrible conditions, take note you are eating all of that too.
1: It's like that picture of a little fish being swallowed by a bigger fish, which in turn is being gobbled up by an even bigger fish. If that little fish is made of garbage, the big fish is ultimately eating that garbage too.
0: And if that little fish was swimming in a bowl of sewage, treating it with antibiotics to keep it alive and fat doesn't make eating it any better for you.
1: Mmm, fish swimming in sewage.
0: I like that analogy.
1: Back to cows. Ideally, you're going to want to find a local rancher in your area that raises cattle the right way.
0: In a perfect world, that means grass-fed and grass-finished.
1: So what's the difference between grass-fed and grass-finished?
0: Some beef is advertised as grass-fed, but all it means is that at some point in its life, it ate some grass. 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, on the other hand, means that the cow is raised on grass throughout its life and not moved onto grain-based feed after some initial period.
1: This meat is not cheap though, right?
0: Yes, but there are a few things to consider. First, the really cheap beef you can find in supermarkets are are cheap for a reason. They're not raised well and aren't doing you any favors from a health perspective. If you're prioritizing health, you may need to adjust your expectations about how much meat should really cost and how much you're willing to spend on it. Second, steak is a premium cut. It's not meant to be an everyday food.
1: What? what?
0: And so a once in a while splurge may be worth it, depending on your budget. Third, you can save money by buying a whole or half cow and sharing it with your friends and family. Locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area, there are a bunch of great places to buy meat. Belcampo Meat Company, Brandon Natural Beef, Marin Sun Farms, BN Ranch, Good Eggs. You can also get meat shipped to you frozen from U.S. Wellness Meats, TX Bar Organics, Tendergrass Farms, just to name a few places. You can also find ranches and other meat purveyors that are local to you by visiting the Eat Wild website, which I'll link to in the show notes on nomnompaleo.com.
1: We'll actually link to all of the different meat purveyors that Michelle just listed off. But of course, if you can't find grass-fed and grass-finished meat, or you can find it, but you can't afford it, then what do you do?
0: Then just do the best you can. Perfect should not be the enemy of good. But as Diana Rogers, my best farmer friend, pointed out to me, Grass-fed beef is pound for pound, cheaper, and way more nutritious than a Snickers bar. If you buy a whole cow, the price per pound is around $7 versus $17.99 per pound of Snickers on Amazon.
1: Who buys Snickers on Amazon? That seems like a crazy way to buy candy bars.
0: I don't know. I think it's probably a smart way to buy candy. It gets shipped to your house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the doorbell rings, you open it up. And
0: oh, a can- pound of candy! <laughs>
1: Packed
0: with peanuts, Snickers really satisfies. Snickers really satisfies
3: you. But a
1: lot of folks are probably thinking, hey, a Snickers really satisfies you, at least according to the ads. And grass-fed meat? Well, a lot of people don't think the taste of grass-fed meat is as good as grain-fed beef.
0: That's a myth that's been busted.
1: Really? Because one of my favorite banners on a steak restaurant not too far from here proudly says serving 100% grain-fed beef like it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Grass-fed beef has gotten a bad rap from a taste perspective based on early taste tests, but it's really improved over the years. Some of the earlier breeds that we tried years ago were tough and lean, and it was kind of difficult for me to cook them. I remember one time your dad spit out a piece in his napkin. But to be fair, it was a piece of bottom (laughs) round, which is notoriously lean and difficult to cook right.
1: Yeah, you were pretty offended when he spit it out, though.
0: Maybe, but I was wrong to be offended. It really wasn't that good.
1: Have things changed?
0: Yeah, I think ranchers these days are raising breeds that can get good marbling and harvesting the beef at the right time of the seasons when there's lots and lots of grass to ensure the best results. A myth persists that 100% grass-fed beef just doesn't taste as good as grain-fed beef, and it's simply not true anymore. In fact, the food nerds over at America's Test Kitchen did a blind taste test between the two types of beef using strip steak, and they couldn't find a noticeable difference in tenderness or taste. They were both
1: grain-fed and grass-fed and then did a blind taste test and the reality is we had a hard time telling the difference. If um,
0: anything, and- the grass-fed beef tasted beefier.
1: That's sort of surprising to me.
0: Not really. I, I do think that the new stuff is way better than when we first started eating grass-fed beef a few years ago. And in a recent competition called the Great Steak Debate, Belcampo Meat Company, which is our local butcher, actually won the Judge's Choice Award for Best Tasting Steaks. And Belcampo only offers grass-fed and grass-finished meat.
1: So what are your favorite cuts of steak?
0: Hmm, My pick is the ribeye, which is also called the Delmonico steak. It's the beefiest tasting and has good marbling and a nice fat cap. My runner-up choice would probably be a New York or Kansas City strip steak. It's a little leaner than the ribeye, but still a very tasty steak.
1: What's funny is our kids always go for filet mignon.
0: Yes, unfortunately. And so the filet mignon... (laughs) What do you mean,
1: unfortunately? Well,
0: I'll tell you. So the filet mignon comes from the tenderloin, so it's very, very tender, but it tends to be pretty bland tasting and way, way overpriced. So I'm happy that they demand this cut every time they visit my parents, and my mom is more than happy to oblige their caviar tastes.
1: Why does it make you happy?
0: Because I don't have to pay for it.
1: What about the porterhouse steak? You see it in a lot of restaurants and cookbooks. And I know it's similar to a T-bone steak in that it's uh, a combination of the tenderloin and also strip steak. But it's cut further back, which means you get a bigger section of tenderloin.
0: Yeah, both the T-bone and porterhouse steaks are kind of a two-for-one cut because it's comprised of a piece of tenderloin on one side of the T-shaped bone. And on the other side is a piece of strip steak. But To be honest, I really don't like cooking T-bones or porterhouses at home because it might look really cool, and the two-for-one concept is really tempting. But I think it's difficult to cook it properly because you have two different cuts of steak. And I just don't like things that are difficult to cook.
1: Any other cuts that we should talk about?
0: My sister and a lot of other chefs swear by hanger steak. It's very beefy tasting, and it comes from the plate, meaning the front of the belly. But there is a thick piece of sinew that runs through hanger steaks that can be off-putting to some folks like your older son Hmm. and so if you prepare hanger steak you'll need to trim around that piece of sinew skirt steaks and flank steaks used to be cheap but now it's really trendy so it's getting more expensive in the end favorite cuts of steak are really a personal choice so i recommend that you check out an illustrated steak chart to figure out what cut you want to choose and how to prepare it Both Siri Eats Seats and Cooks Illustrated have charts that are pretty awesome. They'll rate each steak on tenderness and flavor, and the Siri Eats one is online, and I will link to it in the show notes.
1: When it comes to cooking steaks, what resources do you turn to other than these poster-sized steak charts?
0: Well, there are three trusted resources that I refer to again and again when it comes to meat cookery, and in this case, steaks in particular. So the first one is The Cook's Illustrated, The Meat Cookbook. Second is Bruce Hedell's The Great Meat Cookbook. And basically anything by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, who writes the Food Lab column at Serious Eats and is the managing culinary director of that site. On Serious Eats, he's posted three definitive guides on how to cook steak perfectly, and they're incredibly geeky and wonderful. All three references that I just mentioned are the result of extensive testing and retesting, which is great because I'm all about testing recipes repeatedly, but steak ain't cheap. So I'd much rather use their tried and true methods so I don't have to waste my time or money.
1: I'm sure all three of those resources have slightly different approaches to preparing steak though. So how do you make your steak?
0: So my method is detailed with tons of step-by-step photos in my how to cook a perfect steak post on nomnompaleo.com. It's based on an exhaustively tested recipe from Cook's Illustrated Meatbook. So you know it has to be good. And the best thing about this recipe is that there's no special equipment needed, just an oven, meat thermometer, cooling rack, and baking sheet. And all you do is you get a great boneless ribeye, dry it off, salt and pepper it well, place the steaks on a rack on top of a rimmed baking sheet in a low-temperature oven, and then you just monitor the temperature with a trusty meat thermometer. When it reaches your desired doneness... Watch out! It's hot! Yeah, that steak is awesome! I still have to sear it! hot, 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 hot! Hot, hot, hot. You sear it off in a hot cast-iron skillet slicked with ghee to give it that perfect, delicious crust... And then you let it rest for 10 to 15 minutes and you're ready to serve it.
1: The resting is really key, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it helps. Um, I think there's different theories about why it's necessary to rest it. But basically, it makes so that all the juices don't run out of your steak when you cut it right away.
1: So when people cut into a steak without resting it, basically all the juices end up on the cutting board instead of in the flesh of the meat, which is where it really should be if you want a really juicy, tender, flavorful steak.
0: Yeah, so just leave it alone. Just leave it for like 10, 15 minutes and then it'll be perfect. So this method I mentioned is super easy to do and pretty foolproof because you aren't under the gun to like flip it constantly.
1: And plus it's super scientific, right? So even a clueless home cook like me who relies heavily on step-by-step instructions, can successfully cook a quote-unquote perfect steak.
0: Yeah, or you just need a meat thermometer, and you should be okay. <laughs> so if you are a visual learner, Bruce Edels, aka America's Meat Guru, has an online course on Craftsy that's all about cooking the perfect steak that you can purchase for a small fee, or you can gift it to your pop for Father's Day.
1: And make him cook his own steak.
0: <laughs> yeah and you may recognize Bruce as the face of Adele Sausages, even though he sold the company a few years ago. He's written a ton of cookbooks, and the Great Meat book is the latest and greatest. If you want to get even geekier on steaks, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, who writes the Food Lab column over at Serious Eats, has fantastic posts on grilling the perfect steak, the complete guide to pan-seared steak, and cooking steak sous vide.
1: Sous vide. What's funny is that, You used to be known as the Queen of Sous Vide, and you're still kind of known out there as a big champion of sous vide cooking, which is using a temperature-controlled water bath to cook food that's been vacuum-sealed in food-safe packaging. Farhad Manju of the New York Times even wrote an article recently calling you an early proponent of home sous vide cooking.
0: Yeah, I used to sous vide like crazy, especially when I was working nights and my blog was really just a reflection of what I was eating on a daily basis. Sous vide makes probably the best, most foolproof steaks because it perfectly cooks meat to the right temperature without ever going over. So you could sous vide a steak in a temperature controlled water bath and then take it out and then quickly sear it off. When you cut into it, it would be perfectly pink from end to end. And here's a dirty restaurant secret. Many high-end restaurants and even fast casual chains like Chipotle cook their meat sous vide. In a restaurant kitchen, it helps keep everything uniform and ready to go. There's consistent quality control and you can batch cook a ton in a water bath.
1: So they batch sous vide a bunch of meats and then just keep it on ice or in the refrigerator. And then when it's ready to be reheated, they can just dunk it back into the water bath at that same temperature. And it goes right back to where it was.
0: Yeah, that's why you can get your steak so quickly and perfectly at a restaurant. So I have a sous vide supreme, which was the first sous vide appliance available on the market for home cooks. Though in the past few years, a number of new affordable sous vide tools have come out. They're all immersion circulators, which are different from the Sous Vide Supreme, which is just like this big water bath. They're super compact, and you can use it basically with any pot or even a sink. Some brands that are out there are Nomaku, Inova, and Sansair, And I haven't tried them yet, um, and I'm not sure I will, because for the most part, I've kind of stopped cooking Sous Vide, even though it produced some of the best cooked meats that ever came out of my kitchen.
1: So if Sous Vide cooking works so well why did you stop?
0: Well, I haven't stopped entirely. But now that I don't work night shifts, I don't have as great a need to batch cook. Plus, over the years, I've gotten a ton of flack from readers who complain that they don't have a home sous vide setup and they hate it when I post sous vide recipes.
1: But home cooks who sous vide keep clamoring for more, right? Because I see your social media and I see your emails and there are a bunch of people who will get your cookbook and ask, wait a second, why does the queen of sous vide cooking not actually have any sous vide recipes in her cookbook?
0: Well, you know, they're a minority, a vocal minority, but they are a minority. And most people want recipes that can be pulled off with no special equipment. But hey, if more people want to start cooking sous vide, I may pick it up again. Still, there is an issue with sous vide generating more waste because the vacuum sealed bags need to be disposed of after every use. I did try those reusable silicone bags, but they didn't work quite as well as the vacuum sealed bags. So even if I were to pick up the pace with sous vide cooking, I'd want to be judicious about the waste I'm generating.
1: Okay, so setting sous vide aside, what are the keys to a great steak?
0: No matter what resource you choose to follow, the common denominators are the same. First, buy a great steak. Season it well with kosher salt. Some say up to four days in advance. Blot the steak before putting it on your heat source. Use a meat thermometer to make sure you get the proper temperature. And rest the meat before serving. Voila!
1: (laughs) What do you serve with your steaks?
0: Anything and everything roasted vegetables, a fresh green salad, mashed root vegetables, you name it. You can make a pan sauce in your skillet with some red wine and shallots to accompany your steak. You know, just whisk in some chilled butter or ghee to thicken it at the end. Or serve the steak with a simple chimichurri or flavored herb butter. I like my steak with mushrooms. I also
3: like steak with my popos, mushroom sauce, and sauteed onions. How do you like yours, Ollie? Just the mushroom sauce. And they like it with ice cream, too. That sounds disgusting.
2: Not at the same time.
3: But the way that you said it, it's like, I like the steak with mushroom sauce and ice cream at the
2: same time. So then it's like savory and sweet and cold. Um, it's like warm ice cream with mushroomy taste. It's like warm mushroom ice cream. Gross. Crush of the week. Hey kids, what's your crush of the week? Snuba. Snooba!
1: Can you tell us what Snuba is?
2: Snooba is a combination of snorkeling
3: and scuba diving, but it's better than both because you can go deep underwater without having a heavy oxygen
2: tank on your back. And you have someone there to make sure that you have enough air and you don't drown, so you don't die in the ocean.
3: The way that you said that was so happy. (laughs) Anyways, we did it when we were in Maui. First, we tried it in the swimming pool, and then we went out in the ocean with our guide. Her name is
2: Sarah. Did you like her? yes. But I had to f- wear a float vest so I couldn't swim as deep as you guys. I tried to, but it kept floating to the top. But you saw sea turtles, right? Yeah, we saw four of them, and we saw an eel, and lots and lots of fish.
3: Including the Hawaiian state fish, the humuhumu nukunuku nuku Can you say it, Ollie? No, I just call it the tricker fish. Bang, bang, You know, if you said that underwater, you drown. Maybe not. I love Snooba because I went super deep and got really close to the sea animals like turtles. I had these weights on my belt so I could stay super deep in the water and get
2: crazy! Next year, I'm gonna go deep too, just like you. Did you like Snooba better or Shave Ice? Mmm, I like Snooba better. Snooba took like an hour and a half, and my Shave Ice was done in like 10 minutes. So Snooba lasts longer. Also, it didn't turn my mouth red and blue. What was your second favorite part of Maui or our Maui trip, Ollie? Mm, I like playing catch in the pool with our water ball. And my third favorite thing is watching TV in our room. I wanted to watch South Park, but Mom and Dad didn't let us.
3: That's because it's age-inappropriate.
2: Wait, is it R? It's mature, so it's basically R. Mm, I can't wait till I'm 17. What? I can't wait till I'm 17!
3: Question of the week.
0: A listener named Sarah sent me an email and said, I'm new to paleo and the whole 30. I'm on week one and so far so good. Since we cook so much with raw meat, I would appreciate it if you would do a refresher course on food handling safety for my husband because he does most of the cooking. Well, first of all, bravo to your husband for doing all of the cooking because that is fantastic.
1: I like how you're just staring at me as you say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I bet he does the cleaning, too. I bet he cooks and cleans.
1: Yeah, but does he edit a podcast?
0: Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: fine. I will do
0: the cooking and cleaning. I'll clean. No, it's okay. You do the podcast or whatever else. Just don't die, okay? So anyway, back to the question. This is a really, really great question because the only thing worse than overcooking an expensive piece of meat is to get sick from it.
2: I've never gotten food poisoning.
0: That's because I'm super careful about food safety.
2: I've gotten food poisoning when I eat gluten.
0: That's different. We're talking about contaminating food.
2: Like with poo?
0: Yeah. Actually, quite literally, it is about contaminating your food with harmful bacteria that's found in poo. That's gross. Yuck. That's actually something people don't actually realize. And that's something I learned in my food microbiology class. Is that when you get food poisoning, it's because you get some poop in your mouth from the food that you're eating. <laughs> <laughs> ew, ew,
3: ew, ew. Yuck, ew, ew, ew. Ew, 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 ew. Ew, ew.
0: Ugh.
1: that really is disgusting.
0: And that's why you should follow these tips that I'm about to share with you. Go for it. So when you handle raw meat, keep these tips in mind. Number 1, make sure there's no cross-contamination. So use a specific cutting board and knife for your raw meat and then don't use them to cut vegetables for a raw salad right afterwards. Also, if you're going to season your meat, I always have a small ramekin to hold salt and pepper that I've already poured out ahead of time and then I use that to season the raw meat.
1: I'm assuming that's because if you just pour it out of a container, you're going to muck it up with meat juice and contaminate stuff.
0: Totally. And then every time you touch it, you will be spreading that all around your kitchen. Also, don't rinse your meat. That is an old wives' tale that has been debunked by Cooks Illustrated and a whole bunch of other people. People used to think that if you rinsed off your meat that it would wash off bacteria, but it totally doesn't do that. In fact, it spreads bacteria all over your sink and all over your kitchen wherever it, like, splashes. Yuck. Gross.
3: Oh!
1: <laughs> Again, that's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Also, don't place your cook steak back on the same plate you marinated the raw meat on. And don't reuse the marinade if you soak some raw meat in it. If you want to use the marinade, reserve some before you put the meat in it. Number three, know where your meat comes from and the likelihood that safe handling practices were used in raising the meat. So if you know your farmer and you know that they have good handling practices, you are less likely to get food poisoning.
1: Versus a CAFO cattle ranch where cattle just really isn't treated with much care.
0: And then lastly, wash your hands with soap and water after you handle raw meat. Don't just wipe them off with a rag like I see them do on those TV cooking shows. Also, wash all the stuff that touches raw meat with
2: hot, soapy water, and you should be good.
1: Yeah, it's always a good idea to wash your hands when cooking.
2: You know, Mommy, I wash my hands all the time, especially after I scratch my butt.
0: I hope when you grow up that you don't scratch your butt while you're cooking. (laughs) So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire.
1: This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order.
0: And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com.
1: And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom, Nom Paleo podcasts.